The Daily Tonic is a five-minute newsletter that shares science-backed health news and tips, all while getting you to crack a smile or even laugh out loud on occasion. It's a daily morning newsletter started by wellness lovers for wellness lovers that covers everything from diet and exercise to morning routines and sleep aids. To subscribe, go to 247health.com and click on the Daily Tonic button at the top of the webpage. When you go to 247health.com to subscribe to the Daily Tonic newsletter, be sure to check out their product reviews and special recipes. There you can find reviews on the latest health technology that will improve your performance, your recovery, and your longevity. 247health.com believes that wellness is a personal journey, but it's always good to have a friend who knows what they're talking about, too. Give them a try at 247health.com. Did you know many of 247health.com's favorite products, like avocado oil mayonnaise, hydrating ketone water, skin-revitalizing red light lamps, all are featured on the Daily Tonic with discount codes? If you see a cool new product on the website, there's probably a special link on the Daily Tonic. Plus, the Daily Tonic also features new wellness products with special discounts every single day. To subscribe, go to 247health.com and click on the Daily Tonic button at the top of the webpage. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast and the Surviving Hard Times Podcast. I have Scott Wilson. He's called Gardener Scott. His uh, YouTube is Gardener Scott, S-C-O-T-T. Website is also gardenerscott.com. So we're going to talk about his work in gardening. Thanks for coming. It's great to be here, Richard. Thanks for having me. Yeah, tell me about your background and the work that you're doing today. Well, and so uh, my background in gardening began back in 2004 when I became a certified master gardener here in Colorado, started teaching gardening classes for the community and have been doing lots of work in different aspects locally here in Colorado. And I got into making YouTube videos about 10 years ago, and that is where most of my focus is now, making educational gardening videos for viewers from all around the world. So with gardeners activity or some hydroponics or indoors, or where does the gardening take place? It's primarily outdoor gardening, a lot of vegetable gardening, some flower gardening, some on trees. I also... I'm a certified master food preserver, and so I cover how to preserve the harvests within the garden as well. So uh, it's not just outside growing. I, I also have a, a lot of information on how to start seeds, how to grow seedlings indoors. It's basically the the whole process from starting seeds to harvest to how to use the harvest and everything in between. I like to talk to you about seeds because I think that the rare thing that you know, gardeners talk about, but also, um, I saw in your profile, you, you mentioned raised beds. So sure. Seen, you know, it just looks to me like it would really hurt your back to have stuff on the ground. Uh, do you incorporate raised beds and what are some of the aspects of them that make them worthwhile to do? Yeah, that's actually a big reason why I do raised beds is because I do have a bad back. 
Uh, I actually have three different videos that talk about the advantages. So got 30 positive aspects of raised beds. One of them, of course, you can, I make the beds, most of my beds out of wood, so I can actually sit on the bed and do all of the gardening that I need to do without having to bend over, do any type of lifting up. But also, especially in an area like mine in Colorado, the soil is just terrible. I like raised beds because you can design a good soil and actually build a good soil and fill the bed with a good soil when everything around it is terrible. A lot of stuff won't grow in my native soil, but it grows in my raised bed because that's where I've got the good soil. It also, I think, really helps define a garden space. And I do most of my watering using a hose. Well, dragging a hose around a garden can actually crush plants and break plants. But when the plants are growing in a raised bed, the beds themselves kind of act as guards for the hoses and help direct it. So I've never lost a plant to a hose running across it. And the same with animals. I've got dogs and I've had dogs for a number of years and they won't run across the beds or cause any trouble. They walk around the beds when it's a nice raised bed area. So that's also beneficial. And then I am a huge advocate of covering the plants at different times of the year. And so I have hoops at support plastic to warm the beds or netting to keep birds out or a mesh fabric to keep the insects out. And I find it much easier to have the hoops already sized and ready to go to just fit into a raised bed than to just try to put it in open ground. So th- those what are my mean top you make five. Like, you make like mini greenhouses from the raised bed with a hoop over it? Yeah, basically that's the idea is, is a, a hoop. I use metal hoops primarily, either metal conduit or using cattle panel metal and put those hoops into the bed and then they support sheets of plastic and the plastic will help warm up the soil and help keep the air warm around the plants. So yes, it is like a mini greenhouse. The raised beds themselves, what's the ideal height and dimensions of them? Like what are some of the trade-offs involved? Uh, A lot of it depends on how each individual gardens. And so I have a pretty good reach. And for me, the width of the bed at four feet actually works pretty well because I can work from either side and reach all the way into and past the middle. If it was any wider than four feet for me, that would be too big. For someone with shorter arms, a three foot wide bed might be good. I also like an eight foot long bed because it's easy to walk around, it's easy to move the hose, it's easy to get to. And coincidentally, if you make your own beds using lumber, four feet by eight feet works as a good dimension because most board lumber comes in eight foot lengths. And so you just cut one board in half and fasten it to two other boards and you've got a bed already constructed. And as to the height, a lot of it depends on what kind of plants you're growing. I My height tends to be about 16 inches to 20 inches tall because that's what feels best for me because of my back and because of the, the ease of working. But I've got shorter beds and I've got taller beds just because of the different types of plants I might be growing in them. Do the beds um, 
the floor of the bed does it meet the ground or do you have um like a footer underneath it or a floor underneath the bed no i have it just resting on the native soil i'm a a big believer in allowing the soil life the earthworms and all the bacteria and the fungi, everything that's alive in the soil, able to move back and forth between the native soil and the raised bed soil. And so I've got nothing underneath the beds. And because I use the taller beds, I don't have to worry about any weeds or grass or anything growing up through it because that depth of soil is enough to smother and kill anything that might have been growing underneath the bed before. So that it doesn't necessarily work as well with tree roots. If you put a raised bed with an open bottom next to a tree, the tree roots are eventually going to find that bed. And so that might be a situation you would want to put some type of weed barrier underneath the bed. But other than, than that, I just leave my beds open and let nature go back and forth between the native soil and the soil I have in the beds. You tell people once you make your raised bed, you have to lay in it, right? Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, what happens to the soil in the bed? Once you have gone through a season with the bed, do you keep the soil? Do you turn it over? Do you replace it? Is it still usable? Like what happens to the soil that's there already? Oh, it's completely usable. And so uh, each year and autumn is the best time, I think, to do it. I will amend the soil. So I will add compost and aged manure and crushed leaves and dried grass clippings and, and whatever I have around that is free. I don't think it needs to be very costly at all. I just work whatever organic material I have into the soil in the autumn and then let it sit through the winter and into the spring. And all those soil organisms help break it down and release the nutrients so they're available for the plants to use in spring and summer of the following year. So you don't have to replace the soil at all. It's just a question of replacing any of the nutrients in the soil that might've been used by the plants. And usually just the addition of organic matter each year is enough to replenish those nutrients. And then I'll also top the soil with a cover of some type, either a mulch, like a straw mulch or a a dry leaf mulch that's placed on top of the soil to protect it. Another great option is a cover crop, a, a plant that can actually grow in autumn and winter and spring and, and protect the soil. And then that material, depending on the type of cover crop, can be turned into the soil to add more organic matter. And so it's, it's really a relatively easy process and doesn't require redoing the soil or taking it out and replacing it at all. The Daily Tonic is a five-minute newsletter that shares science-backed health news and tips, all while getting you to crack a smile or even laugh out loud on occasion. It's a daily morning newsletter started by wellness lovers for wellness lovers that covers everything from diet and exercise to morning routines and sleep aids. To subscribe, go to 247health.com and click on the Daily Tonic button at the top of the webpage. When you go to 247health.com to subscribe to the Daily Tonic Newsletter, be sure to check out their product reviews and special recipes. There you can find reviews on the latest health technology that will improve your performance, your recovery, and your longevity. 247health.com believes that wellness is a personal journey, but it's always good to have a friend who knows what they're talking about, too. Give them a try at 247health.com.
Did you know many of 247health.com's favorite products, like avocado oil mayonnaise, hydrating ketone water, skin revitalizing red light lamps, all are featured on the Daily Tonic with discount codes? If you see a cool new product on the website, there's probably a special link on the Daily Tonic. Plus, the Daily Tonic also features new wellness products with special discounts every single day. To subscribe, go to 247health.com and click on the Daily Tonic button at the top of the webpage. Well, does the soil compact? Let's say, again, it's you know 18 inches high at the end of a season. Will it be lower? Will it compact um, or is it about the same? Yeah, if there's a, the soil should, or the mix of soil in the bed should include actual soil, actual mineral-based native soil, and then as much as 25%, which is high, but typically closer to 10% of organic matter. So it will settle as that organic matter decomposes. But that's why I add it again, because as I turn in new organic matter, it helps aerate the soil and it helps decrease the compaction. In fact, that's one of the benefits of a raised bed is that you're not walking on the soil. You're not putting a lot of pressure on the soil. So it, the compaction is less in a raised bed than it would be in an in, in-ground bed that typically has somebody or some animal walking across it. And so there's less compaction to start with, but then once you turn in the material and you're adding all of those organics, that also helps to loosen the soil to relieve any compaction problems. Do you, um, do you top water or can you put, you know, little nozzles inside the, you know, along the walls of the bed so you can water at different, different depths, let's say? I top, top water. I like to hand water so I can look at my plants each day and see if any insects have appeared in the garden or if any disease has appeared. It, it's a good way for me to just help see on a daily basis the health of my garden. So I like to hand water. You can definitely put in. Before we get started, I have a quick favor. I've been self-funding the Finding Genius podcast for five years now. I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button and uh, we'll be able to solicit donations uh, to help keep the podcast running and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the uh, you know the last two years of the whole virus situation. So if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. That would help us tremendously. Give us a thumbs up. And check in the description for Buy Me a Coffee. It's about five bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going. And I love coffee. Thank you. A drip irrigation system or a soaker hose system, which is usually on top of the soil. There are systems that you could put in place that are in the soil, but they tend to be a little more expensive and really not as necessary. So top watering is, is usually the way that I do it and most people do it. But you can actually design a raised bed or use a metal bed or a plastic bed that has an enclosed bottom and it becomes a, a reservoir for water. So it's often called a self-watering bed where you, you water the bottom of the bed is essentially always wet and always has water in it. And then that water will wick up through 
a soil that has a lot of organic material in it up to the roots of the plant. But here in Colorado, we get some really heavy thunderstorm rains, and that doesn't work as well for me because you run into the potential problem of, of saturating the soil and having too much water. So even though my climate is mostly dry, I like to have the open drainage so that any excess water can drain out. And then I'll just water from above. If it's too much, it drains through. And if it's not, not enough, I can check with my finger to see what the moisture level is of the soil and water more if I need to. Um, is there any point in below the bed putting anything in? Like a you know a, an empty space or a space that you could put heating in or I don't know. Like what else can you do with them that's you've seen that's innovative even if you don't do it? Yeah, the the bottom of, of my beds I actually fill with with logs and branches and sticks, material that will decompose, but over a long period of time. And as those logs break down, they'll release nutrients into the soil. And all of those soil organisms will take those nutrients and disperse them throughout the soil. The plants that I'm typically growing in my raised beds are vegetable plants, and their roots are only going to go down six or eight, maybe even 10 inches. And so the bottom of the bed doesn't need to be good, rich garden soil, which is why I just fill it with logs and things that that will eventually benefit the soil for free without having to, to pay any extra expense. Rocks and things like that can actually disrupt the drainage of the water that flows through, which is why I like to have a, a natural ingredient like the logs. But no, there's no, no need for air underneath or anything special underneath because the roots aren't even growing that deep. Hmm, okay. Um, again, once a season's over, um, what do you have to do to the bed to get it ready for next season? Do you put a cover crop in there or is it yeah, just so too small or you cover it or what do you do? Yeah. So kind of what I, I said earlier, I'll, I'll start by, by amending it, by, by taking compost, putting a couple inches of compost on top of the soil and then turning that into the soil. So it's incorporated. And then I'll, I'll take seeds of different plants like winter rye, or hairy vetch. There are lots of plants like that. Clover, alfalfa, those can all be good cover crops. And so I'll start those seeds in the fall and most of them will germinate and they'll start growing. I'll add usually a straw mulch or dried leaf mulch and just keep the bed covered with either the mulch or the cover crop through the winter. One of the worst things that you can do with your soil is to leave it uncovered, exposed to the sun and the wind. You can have erosion issues. The UV rays of the sun will kill that soil life in those top few inches. So keeping the soil covered is important. And a lot of that takes place in the fall going into the winter. But I don't cover with plastic or don't cover with tarps. You know, I, I allow the, the natural rain and snow and air to filter into the soil. That also helps benefit everything. And then in the spring, just let it wake up and warm up and then put the seeds and the plants in and start all over again. Yeah, why not do the beds um, like 36 inches high? And again, maybe there's a, a false bottom, so you don't need 36 inches high of soil. Um, then yep. it's, you know, that's kind of the height of most tables and everything. Wouldn't that be maybe ergonomically the easiest? It, it, it depends. It depends on how 
one decides to garden. I have had beds taller than that. I, I built and ran a pretty large school garden and we had a number of students who were in wheelchairs. And so some of those beds were taller so that the, the kids in the wheelchairs could garden around them. I know of people who have some severe mobility issues and can't bend over at all. And so, yes, taller beds, more like a table where the bottom is open and then the actual eight or 12 inch bed is elevated. That definitely can work for people with elevation issues. But for most of us, it doesn't need to be that tall because remember the plants are only growing in the top portion of the bed. And so to build a 36 inch high bed requires more material, which costs more, and it requires more fill, which costs more. And depending on how you garden, it's too tall. So for me, 36 inches is too tall to sit on because I actually like to sit on my beds when I work with them. And so it all depends on who's using it and how they garden. And yes, 36 may be perfect for some people, but I think for most of us, it's, it leads to extra expense and really is too tall to, to do most of what we want to do. Are there any other innovations with beds that you're working on or your system works, you've been using it for a long time and you're happy? So I actually grow in a number of different types of beds. I'm doing more and more gardening in metal raised beds. The, the wooden raised beds are sturdy. I love them. I've used them for years. They last a long time, but wood will eventually break down. It'll dry, it'll crack, it'll rot. And so my raised wooden beds usually last at least 10 years before I need to think about replacing them. Whereas a metal bed, particularly the newer metal beds that are being developed that have coatings on the, the inside and outside, will last for decades with no replacement at all. I also have concrete block beds and same idea where the concrete lasts for years and years and years, much longer than a wooden bed will last. So those are, are two of the innovations you can say in raised bed gardening that I personally do. Uh, I've, I also built a huge garden area with raised beds using galvanized roofing panels. And that galvanized steel won't last quite as long as a steel that's coated, but it, it will last for as many years as I'll probably still be gardening without any concerns whatsoever. So the, the shape of the beds, the height of the beds, the material in the beds, those are all things that, that will vary. And I've got all of those different types of of beds within my own garden space. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about seeds. Um, do you harvest your own seeds and like what's the process uh, to get them utilized and prepare them, et cetera? Yeah, so I do a lot of gardening using my own seeds. And so I, I, I think gardening doesn't have to cost a lot if you learn how to do it and spend some time. Now it takes a couple years because in the first year you'll grow the plant and then at the end of the season, you'll you'll collect the seed. And then the next year, you can use that seed in the garden. And you never need to buy seed again. The most important aspect when saving the seed is that it needs to be open pollinated. That means that, that that plant, that the flower on that plant will be pollinated 
and produce the same type of plant. So for instance, black crim tomatoes are one of my favorite. You save the seeds of a black crim tomato, which is an open pollinated variety. And the next year you will get black crim tomatoes. And every year after you use those seeds, you'll get the same type of tomato plant. That counters with a hybrid plant. If you're growing a hybrid, like a sweet 100 tomato is also one of my favorites. Well, sweet 100 is a hybrid plant. If you save the seed of a hybrid plant, the next year you really don't know what you're going to get because a hybrid seed or the seed from a hybrid plant is not going to grow into the same type of plant that you save the seeds from. So by growing open pollinated plants, which are many of them are called heirloom plants, an heirloom plant is always an open pollinated plant. You can save those seeds and grow them year after year. And so it depends on what kind of plant it is as to how you collect the seed. For tomatoes, you just harvest a tomato and the seeds are inside. The same with cucumbers and peppers, all those type of plants. Whereas if you grow broccoli or spinach or any of the brassica family of plants, those most of those plants are biennial. So you actually grow them in the first year, leave them in the ground over the winter. And in the second season, they'll send up a flower stock and produce the seeds. So you collect the seeds from those plants. It just takes two years for that to happen. And then you can plant the, the same seeds to get the same plants year after year. And that's how most of my garden grows. I grew a lot of tomatoes this year from seeds that I had saved. And I grew lettuce and I grew uh, spinach from seeds that I had saved, Swiss chard. I've been gardening for a few decades, so I have a lot of seeds to, to use, but that's that's something I encourage gardeners to do a lot of. How many seeds are produced? I know it depends on what kind of plant, but are there enough for years and years or just enough for like two years? Uh, and, and so it depends on how many plants you're growing. Last year, I saved radish seeds and a pod that grows from the radish flower will produce four to eight seeds. Well, a radish plant might have 40 or 50 or 100 pods. And so if you allow one radish to flower and go to seed, you could conceivably get 200 or 300 seeds easily from that one plant. And I've never grown more than maybe a hundred radishes in a single season. So I would be, I would save the radish seeds and that would be enough for two, maybe three years of gardening. And then I would go through that process again, where I would save the radish seeds and they'd be good again for two or three years. Whereas tomato seeds, tomato might also have a hundred seeds within a single tomato but I'm only growing two or three of those tomato plants. And so I would only need to save the tomato seeds every five or six years just to keep them nice and fresh and viable. And so it, it depends on how many plants you're growing and how many seeds are going to be in that fruit or that, that pod. It sounds like the ratios though are 20 to one, 40 to one, maybe even a hundred to one. So you oh, don't absolutely. have to let very many go to seed in order to have enough for next time. 
Absolutely. I, I did a video a few years ago where I had let carrots, carrots are a biennial, so you'll usually collect the seeds on the flowers in the second year. And the one carrot plant that I had when we did a rough estimation, there were over 5,000 seeds on that one carrot. That's crazy. Well, what else is important about, um, you know, creating and saving seeds that you learned? What's, what's critical? The storage of the seeds can make a big difference. The, the seeds themselves will last a variety of years. So, for instance, onion seeds generally are going to be most viable in just one year. After a year, maybe two, the onion seeds really aren't going to grow very well. Whereas pepper and tomato seeds can easily last five or six years and remain viable. So like when you you start the seed, you can expect that a plant will grow. But to have that viability over that number of years, you need to store the seeds in a cool, dry, and preferably dark location. They actually don't store well in a greenhouse. If you store your seeds in a greenhouse, which is humid and hot, the seeds won't last as long. So you'll get a much reduced time period for how long you can expect the, the seeds to remain viable. And so I, I store most of my seeds in little glass jars and I have them down in the coolest spot of my house, which is my basement in a nice dry area. And that's why I can have seeds last for years and years. Labeling is also very important because I think most gardeners at one time or another will save seeds and not know what the seeds are that they've saved. So I always make a point to label right away as soon as I save the seed and then put into the uh, the jar into that cool, dry, dark storage. And the seed itself should be dry when you put it into storage. And so particularly like cucumbers and tomatoes that are a wet fruit, you save the seeds from those, but you need to make sure that the seeds are drying for weeks before you even think about storing them. Because if you put a wet seed into storage, it is probably going to get moldy. It'll probably rot. And then you've wasted all of your efforts. So, um, if we're to put together all the critical component, the components for someone to be able to farm over and over and over, it's seeds, compost, soil growing, et cetera. What, I mean, what, what are some of the other major elements that, um, that could be self-produced so that you could be as sustainable as possible? So you need the least outside inputs as possible as a farmer. Right. Well, I think gaining experience and increasing your gardening knowledge is really more important than a lot of people realize. A lot of people think they'll start gardening and they're going to grow their own food. And they realize in the first year that there is so much to gardening that they just are overwhelmed. And it, it's not easy. I've been gardening for over 30 years. I've been a master gardener for almost 20 years. And I can honestly say I learn something about gardening pretty much every day because I'm seeking out that information and I'm trying new things. I'm trying new plants. I'm trying new methods. I've grown in the ground and I've grown in raised beds and I prefer raised beds. That's not the case for everybody. Just because I might advocate raised beds, a different gardener may find that they prefer growing in the ground or they prefer 
uh, prefer growing in grow bags or other types of containers. And so un until you do it, until you actually start growing the seeds and the plants and taking care of them, it it's really hard to figure out what is the best method for you in your garden with your climate and your soil, because every garden is unique. And so I, I see a lot of gardeners fail because they'll buy a book by a famous author that has a popular method of gardening, but it may not work in their particular area. And they, they do what the book says to do, and it, it just leads to failure. Well, failure can actually lead to a lot of success in gardening because there is so much that can go wrong. One day with terrible weather can devastate an entire season of growing. So then you learn how to, to protect your plants from the weather. And then you have a pest that comes in and that pest might destroy a huge number of plants. So then you learn how to confront that pest. And it's all of these different components. It's really hard to narrow it down to even a handful of things that gardeners need to know because it, it's watering, it's weather, it's soil, it's pests, it's the seed, it's the variety, it's how much space the plant is going to take. It's what kind of nutrients the plants require. It's how long the plant needs to grow until you get to the harvest and what the harvest is going to look like. And after you harvest, how are you going to use that particular food? Some can be eaten raw, some's best when it's cooked. And so you, you run that entire spectrum of gardening and you just can't learn it in a year or two or three. And so for people who are really interested in producing food, you got to start as soon as you can and start learning some of those lessons and then figure out what will work best for you. Well, for listeners that have never gardened and maybe they're concerned about, you know, coming food issues, uh, what's like a really easy way for people to start? You know, what plants, what method? If you took a total beginner off the street, what would you uh, suggest them? For a total beginner, I would say start small. Don't even think about trying to grow food for your family in your very first year. Start with one bed, either in the ground or a raised bed or a couple containers and grow peas. Peas are really easy to grow. Grow some beans. They're really easy to grow. Grow tomatoes because they're pretty easy to grow and almost everybody likes to eat that fresh tomato off the plant. And by spending a year with just a few plants, you can start to recognize the habits that you develop. You need to water every day. You need to pay attention to the weather and to the insects and to everything else happening in your garden. And so by spending a year observing the sun within your own yard and how it moves, too many gardeners pick what they think is the best spot when they're first starting out and it gets too much shade. There's not enough sun to give the biggest plants. So until you do it that first year, you may not realize the best location and the best type of plants. And once you, you get your feet wet starting small, then it becomes easier to add more space to grow in and to add more plants. I've talked to hundreds of gardeners over, I should say former gardeners over the years who started too big, 
had no success. It was just an utter frustrating failure and they stopped gardening and never did it again. Whereas by starting small, taking it slow, learning all the lessons that need to be learned, you have to have patience. But in time, you can grow enough food to support your family and even potentially generate income because you can grow more than your family even needs to eat. But it does take time. Gardening isn't hard, but it can be difficult and time consuming. And it is one of those that the more you know, the better you'll be at it. With um, a raised bed system, is it less likely to have pests or is there no difference? Does the bed Uh, do anything to protect you? It depends on the pest. So another reason I like my raised beds is because I have rabbits and gophers in my area. And so underneath the raised beds, I do have wire mesh to keep the gophers out. You really can't do that in an open ground bed. Gophers would be able to dig right up to the plant. So a raised bed reduces the gopher problem. That's one pest. The rabbits aren't going to be jumping into an 18 inch tall bed. Generally, I've only seen it happen once and they're more likely to run around the bed and stay out of that area because they're eating the plants that are down close to where they're normally walking. So they don't think in terms of jumping up to get food. So the rabbit pest is reduced in that situation. Depending on how you have your garden set up, raised beds can have fewer issues with slugs and snails, which can be a major pest for in-ground beds. As far as the insect pests, they're going to come into a garden, whether it's raised beds or not. But because of the hoops that I can cover and help keep some of those insects away, I find that an easier option to deal with some of those insect pest issues. Hmm, Okay. Is there any point in doing sunken beds where you dig into the ground and line it with stone or with wood and you know you have a, a raised bed, but again, in the ground? Any yeah. Point doing that? yeah, actually, for some areas that are very dry and very hot, sunken beds can actually be beneficial. Uh, raised beds are, are great. They, they offer increased drainage and they, they warm up pretty well, but they, because of that warming up and because of the good drainage, they'll dry out faster, particularly in a hot summer. Whereas a sunken bed, if you're actually growing down, it tends to shade the roots a little bit more so the soil is not as hot and it collects water. So if you're in an area with just very little rainfall, a sunken bed can actually hold that little bit of rain, which will reduce the the need for watering. Very interesting. Okay. What's next for you in the future here? What uh, do you see questions trending in a certain way? New things that you want to try that you're going to showcase in your channel? Like where are you headed? So I'm always trying new things on my channel. I'm, I'm doing a lot more with food preservation. There's a lot of interest. I'm seeing an increase in the number of people who are wanting to grow their own food. Uh, I think growing the food is just half of it because if you grow a whole bunch of food and harvest it, unless you also know how to preserve it, you're only going to be able to use as much as you can eat before it goes bad. So I'm spending a lot more focus on my channel now 
in not just the growing, but the preservation so that people who are trying to sustain their family with what they grow, they can understand how both of those pieces fit together fit together. So that's becoming a, a much larger focus on my channel. But then also the the specific plants. Every year I, I grow something new. I try different methods of growing. One thing that I just did recently, a, a video to demonstrate, I just bought a bag of pinto beans from the supermarket and grew those pinto beans. And that's much cheaper than buying the same type of bean seeds through a seed company. There are ways that you can save money. And so I'll be doing more and more of those type of videos as well, where you can not only grow the food for your family, but grow it at minimal cost to start out and minimal cost or next to nothing to keep it going into the future as well. Yeah. Would it be okay to talk about preservation just for a few minutes? Oh, sure. Yeah. Would what kind of, uh, I mean, are you able to preserve everything or what are the um, the various foods that are most amenable to preserving and what form do they take when you do? So you are able to preserve just about anything that you grow. You just have to be selective in the method of preservation. And so freezing, for instance, is a very common way to to preserve. You grow peas, you grow beans, you grow carrots. You can pop those in the freezer and you're preserving them for, for later use. One of the things that I really like to do is make jam and jelly. If you're growing fruit, if you've got uh, raspberries or blackberries or peaches or pears or apples, you can make jam and jelly and that'll last for years. Or you can dehydrate them. I do a lot of dehydrating where I will take my herbs and dry the herbs and then use them in cooking. Or I'll do the same thing. I'll take strawberries or apples and I'll dehydrate them for a snack at some future point. Also canning, water bath canning methods can be used and you can save your tomatoes. I, I make pickles. I make pickles with vinegar. I make pickles through fermentation methods. Those can also be canned in jars for long-term storage. One of the methods that I'm using now that I really like that is extremely effective is freeze drying. You can freeze dry anything and you can either eat it after it's dried or you reconstitute it with water and then use it in a recipe as though it were fresh. So there's, there's lots of different methods that can be used to preserve the harvest and and a lot of those preservation method, methods can be used for many different things. A, a carrot can be pickled, a carrot can be frozen, a carrot can be freeze dried. It, it all depends how you want to eat it later on that will most influence how you decide to preserve your harvest. Um, in terms of workflow, when are you busiest and when are you pretty idle throughout the year? And, and so on my channel, I, I'm making two videos every week, and I also have a live stream on Monday mornings. And so my personal workflow stays pretty consistent throughout the year because I'm always finding material to make videos on and then making the videos and releasing the videos. Now, of course, being a gardening channel, I'm busiest during the growing season when the plants are actively growing and when I'm doing the harvest. But I also, back to the idea that learning 
and increasing your knowledge of gardening is important during the winter months and during those cold times when I can't be outside actively gardening, I'm reading books and I'm watching other videos and I'm planning my own garden and I'm starting seeds. And so for the most part, I keep a pretty even schedule through the year because I do so much with gardening and I'm always trying to make sure that I'm, I'm the best possible gardener, but also best possible YouTuber and that I can be. And so there's a, a few months out of the year, usually like February and March and October and November that I'm less busy, uh, but my schedule is pretty packed most of the time. Well, very good. All right. So let's restate where people can find you. So it's Gardener Scott on YouTube. Is that what people should look up or where else? Yeah, that's right. So I have I have a big channel on YouTube. And so if you just do a search of Gardener Scott, it's going to show that channel. And uh, you, I've got hundreds and hundreds of videos. So you could actually do a search of Gardener Scott with a specific topic. And chances are it'll take you to a specific video. I am on Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat, but I really don't do much there. Most of my focus is on YouTube. I do have a website, gardenerscott.com, but the same thing. I don't do a lot on that website. Most, most of these other social media platforms I have are to direct people to YouTube because of the videos and because the information I think is most pertinent to be able to see and hear. I, my videos demonstrate. It's more than just telling you how to do something. I'm demonstrating. I'm showing the outcomes. I'm explaining why. I think it's important to understand why you would do something and not just how you do something. So I would definitely direct people to the Gardener Scott on YouTube. Uh, last item, do you do consulting, you know, paid consulting if people want your help directly? Uh, do you have courses? I don't do paid consulting. I, I have done that in the past and it's really quite expensive to pay me or anybody to be a personal consultant. Instead, I try to answer every question that is directed at me on YouTube. And in my live streams, it's 90 minutes on Monday, and it's devoted to answering questions and covering the subjects that gardeners are interested in. And so I think the YouTube videos and the, the live stream are are better than what someone would get with an hour consultation from me and a lot more information in that same amount of time for free. Okay. Well, very good. Scott, you've been very generous by coming here too. So thanks so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Well, it was my pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Uh, thank you so much. The Daily Tonic is a five-minute newsletter that shares science-backed health news and tips, all while getting you to crack a smile or even laugh out loud on occasion. It's a daily morning newsletter started by wellness lovers for wellness lovers that covers everything from diet and exercise to morning routines and sleep aids. To subscribe, go to 247health.com and click on the Daily Tonic button at the top of the webpage. When you go to 247health.com to subscribe to the Daily Tonic newsletter, be sure to check out their product reviews and special recipes. There you can find reviews on the latest health technology, that will improve your performance, your recovery, and your longevity. 247health.com believes that wellness is a personal journey, but it's always good to have a friend who knows what they're talking about, too. Give them a try at 247health.com.
Did you know many of 247health.com's favorite products, like avocado oil mayonnaise, hydrating ketone water, skin revitalizing red light lamps, all are featured on the Daily Tonic with discount codes? If you see a cool new product on the website, there's probably a special link on the Daily Tonic. Plus, the Daily Tonic also features new wellness products with special discounts every single day. To subscribe, go to 247health.com and click on the Daily Tonic button at the top of the webpage. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.